Um, there are certain things that strike fear in my heart. Um, there are certain things that do that are daunting, but you would never know that because I will never reveal that. But in truth, I'm pretty fearless. I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. The whole point of having a guest on a podcast is because you want to have unity. You want to have sort of like an audience, right? A room full of people. But what do you do when your guests and your host are all individualist? Can you have a podcast with a bunch of individualists? It's a four fest. Israel Balderas, four. Fours. Fours all over. Fours and more. You know what I mean? I do. I mean, it's it's one thing when our guests get some four, three from you, and they get a little four or five from me, but now our guest today is four and more. Four and more. Four and more. That's a lot of fourness, guys, <laughs> in one space. You know what? What happens with this kind of space, it means uh, there is no BS. We, we, we can call each other's BS because we know we have our emotions That's on our true. sleeve. That's right. And you know the truth of the matter, those are my initials. Um, and so <laughs> I try really hard not to live into my initials. Who do we have here, Israel? We have the Reverend Burl Salmon from the Church of, uh, the church of Bethesda by the Sea. Yeah. Uh, it is an Episcopal church right across from the water right here in West Palm Beach. They, uh, the church is at uh, in the town of Palm Beach. It's right. not the island of Palm Beach. I always get corrected by that. That's right. That's right. Uh, Pretty much on the water, very close to the uh, water. Very close, hence the name. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Reverend uh, Burl, I've known him for a, a couple of years now. I first met him when the church uh, invited an amazing author that unfortunately is no longer with us, uh, Rachel Held Evans. I, I was such a big fan, and I remember that I saw the event on Facebook, and like I caught it on a Friday, yeah, and you guys had it yeah, on a Saturday, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so I went to the church. I'd never been there. It's a beautiful oh, church, uh, beautiful garden yeah, that you have yeah. there. You're right next to the Breakers, yes, we are. which anybody yes, who's are. familiar with the Breakers, um, you, would, you would say, you know, it's one of the most yeah. glamorous uh, hotels yeah. on the East Coast. Yeah. And then um, Burl got up to introduce uh, Rachel. And I knew right away when I saw you, this guy is such <laughs> a creative. Yeah. He's such an yeah. individualist. Yeah. And I was new yeah. to the Enneagram because that was, yeah. what, two years ago? Uh, two, three years two, ago. Two, three yeah. years ago. Yeah. And But I just got a sense mm-hmm. that... This is the kind of guy, right, yeah. that if yeah. I was at a party, that if yeah. I was at a bar, we would have some intense right. theological, political, <laughs> personal conversations. Yes, we and would. I just, and every time I've seen you around town, whether it's like at uh, Linoris, remember one time yep. Yep. you were there eating, yep. I, I always kind of just want to hug you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would be, hug you right back. <laughs> you would. I would. But, but I would say if there's one person that I, that I have felt that this is the kind of four I want to be, it's you. Well, thank you. That's that's kind of you. You know, as a four, um, we can only be what we are. That's right. Um, and so the the idea that that um, I, I you know as as a kid I wanted to be a mailman, and I thought that mailmen were so cool because they got to um, they sort of organized the world and they 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 carried things that I would leave in a box and it would get to Paris or it would get to my neighbor and I always thought that was so cool, but I never wanted to be anything other than who I was. And that was now as an adult, I realized that's part of my foreness that I got to be a mailman, but I was going to be who I was. And so it wasn't about, it was never about hiding anything about who I was or trying to be anyone else's um, idea of who I was, but rather exactly Mm -hmm. who I am. It just never occurred to me. That's not possible. So, so thank you. Um, Because I, I would hug you too. Um, I know if I were there because that's exactly who we are. Yes, right. generally uh, fours love to hug. Yeah, we do. Hug, Absolutely, the empathy there. And I must say, I was not at the Rachel uh, Held Evans uh, event that you were Israel, but maybe six months or possibly a year later, mm-hmm. right. I um, showed up at the church with Israel's wife. Yeah, <laughs> Israel's yeah. wife and I and my husband went to an Enneagram workshop that you had. Right, and the same thing. I noticed that um, this man that was standing up, I I first of all didn't know that you were the priest there. You know, you stood up. (laughs) I said, oh, wow. 
Look at him. He's got great socks. <laughs> you had these. I don't know. I was what. actually wearing socks because yeah. I don't usually wear socks. You had. I don't well know. Done. I don't know if they were like flamingos on them yeah, or what, but yeah. you had beautiful Palm Beach kind of shorts yeah. on, and I said. Yeah, he is an individual. He is an individual. Yeah. And, the, and the warmth that exuded from you um, just really uh, uh, touched me that day. And so when we started our Any of Us, uh, the minute I said, how about Father Burrow? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were in sync completely, weren't we? Yes. And in some ways, um, he is Enneagram royalty. And tell us why. Yeah, please tell me why. Because uh, Where did you get your Enneagram uh, education? Ah. Um, so I studied with Suzanne Stabile. Which we are big fans of Suzanne um, Stabile, That's, uh, the, which is a co-author of The Road Back to You with right. Ian Cron. And, you know, I actually was introduced to the Enneagram when I was in college and began studying it and realized I was a four at that point because the community in which I went to school had an emphasis on the Enneagram. And it was through my church, actually, but, but also inter, um, interdenominational. It was really cool. And then I sort of fell away from it after I left that community and then discovered once I moved back here, back, back to, uh, well, when I moved to South Florida, that, that the Enneagram is so useful in a professional sense and so then I reconnected with Suzanne and studied with Suzanne and am honored to have done that with her because she really is, she's just an, she's so, her, her wisdom is immense and her thoughtfulness and her care um, and her love for what she does. And, and um, so I was really, really lucky to be able to study with her. And she, she really uh, has a lot of respect for the people that she works with and in interviews. I've noticed anything I listen to by her. She's just very respectful of each of the um, dominant types. Um, it seems some teachers really like to ram home the low side, the passion side, the vices of mm -hmm, each number. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, but she, she kind of always seems to bring it back in such a lovely way to like the gift oh, she really of that does. number. She really, Doesn't really does. She? Because she, she thinks of it as a whole person. And that this isn't who, this isn't your label. This isn't your identity. This is a way to help you understand how you work. Exactly. Um, and all, we have all of those facets in us. Exactly. Um, the, our strengths, our weaknesses, our challenges, um, our tendencies, all of those help make us who we are. They are not who we are. That's She's right. really, really clear about that. That's right. But they make us who we are. That's right. Part, they're part of who we are. And it's part of your ministry as well, because I think what I remember when we were there at the Rachel Held Evans event, something that's very important for you is to create spiritual space for people to thrive. Exactly or right. Or if they are not thriving, just for whatever emotional state, to let them be whatever emotion they're going through. And I remember that that's what you wanted to create that space for them. Is that, is yeah, that you're exact? You're exactly right, um, Israel. That that's that's um, that's how I conceive of my ministry. I was a school teacher for 17 years and taught high school, um, and that's also what what fueled the way that I arranged my classrooms. Um, and taught was to provide a safe space for children to understand who they were, that they're coming to under, they're coming to understand their own identities. They're learning about the world. And I wanted to create a space that was non-judgmental, that was, that was safe, that was safe for exploring, that was safe for not exploring, um, to be supportive. Um, and that's exactly what I do in parish as well. And so when we had Rachel, um, whether you were in her same theological boat or you were in a different boat or you weren't in a boat at all or you were in the water or on the shore sort of looking at the whole thing, that this was a safe place for you to be. Yeah. And for those who don't know Rachel Held Evans, she was on the progressive end. She grew up in a very conservative evangelical home. Um, she talks about how she went to an evangelical conservative university, mm -hmm. but then she started, when she started having questions in a liberal arts setting, she went and she wanted to ask these questions of her spiritual mentors, spiritual teachers, and the answers that they were providing back didn't f quite fit with her, uh, sort of her intellectual desire. And not only were the answers not fitting, she was told to stop questioning. Yes. And, and so her, she wrote several books um, talking about that uh, spiritual journey for her. Mm -hmm. and, but when we were there at the event at Bethesda by the Sea, she did not talk about her personal beliefs or progressive mm -hmm. writings. Mm -hmm. What was very important for her was when you read the Bible and you read these passages, can you see yourself in this character 
and then go through the emotions of what the character is going through and what the smell is like. Remember, we did Mm -hmm. that experience where we read a passage and you had to rewrite that passage as if you were, you know, that tax collector or whether you were that woman at the well. And that was her big thing. So I did not feel that, you know, this was about politics or theology, but again, it was about experience and it was about self-reflection, which for a four, right? Anybody who says self-reflect, Stephanie, Mm -hmm. we jump at it. Absolutely. And that's why I love the Enneagram because I've been talking about self-awareness for about 30 years Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden people start listening when you say the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. It's like there's this fear this mask. Um, in 1990, I wrote this article called uh, Holy Artichoke Batman for uh, this um, <laughs> newspaper. And it was about self-awareness. Do you, have you had artichoke? Haven't you had, ever eaten yeah, artichoke? sure. It's yeah. really you. So you know how you pull each of these right. leaves. Leaves away. You pull them away. And what do you get after you pull away that layer? You, you get, get more the, leaves. And you get the more heart. Leaves. Finally, you get to the heart. Right. Finally, you get to But if you look at that heart, it's still made up of just... Then more fragile leaves of the same type. They're more transparent. But you know know what else those leaves have? They have little spikes on them. Yes. That's the crazy part about an artichoke heart. Yeah. All the leaves, the the closer in you get, the thinner, the more malleable, um, the the tenderer the leaves, but they never lose their little thorn. That's Mm. it. They never lose their thorn, and they are always the artichoke. So when people think about the Enneagram, of course, I knew nothing about the Enneagram in 1990 when I wrote that. I was trying to talk about self-awareness and pulling away the leaves layers of our outer self and getting to the core. But there's so much when you think about that simple, it's really not a simple vegetable that um, can help us see that there's, there's some place deeper inside of ourselves that we can go. We don't have to deny what's on the outside and pretend that's not there. Um, like I think some people have criticized the Enneagram. I've heard some criticism that, um, well, what are you asking me to give up my personality? If my personality is basically st- strategy for uh, coping strategies for dealing with wounds, uh, what am I supposed to do? Just give it up? And it gets very reductionist. I say, no, there's a core of you that's still you. And, you know, your personality manifests, but there's a healthier way to function in that personality. Right. You know? So this reminds me, Stephanie, and you and I have talked about this, but it's how I understand the Enneagram and, and, um, and so my model of the Enneagram, and I did, I, I, I inherited part of this. Um, my model is that the Enneagram is a doorway. And so each of us has a doorway and um, th- that, that we're always behind our doorway and it, we walk through the doorway a thousand times a day and we allow people back in through our doorway sometimes and we look outside. Sometimes we stay in our, inside the building, but we look outside the door and sometimes the door is open and sometimes the door is closed and sometimes the door has a window and sometimes the, the door is all glass and sometimes the door is open, but there's a screen door that others get to see through and we can see through, but yet there's still something that that separates us from the outside world but the winds get to blow and and so i understand the enneagram as our doorway and that each of us walks through our individual doorways countless countless times a day Mm -hmm. and so much so that we can't see the door anymore Mm -hmm. and we don't know what the door frame looks like we don't know the shape of the door we just are so used to that door. And if I ask any of us what the doorway, what the front door in our house looks like, a lot of us would say, well, it's a door. And if you start asking, well, how many panels are on the door? Or, well, what color do you have painted? How many hinges are on that door? Or how does the door lock? Um, how does the door lock? Does it turn to the left or to the right? And so many times we can't answer those questions because we do it all the time and we don't know. And that's kind of the way I see the Enneagram is that it's a doorway through which each one of us walks and they're shaped differently. Um, They're different constitutions, but we all have doorways. Um, And that's exactly how I see that. It's not, it's not reductionist. It's not labeling. It's not confining. um, It's not identifying, but rather see it as a doorway. And how do we walk through our doorways day in and day out? And how do we let others walk in and out of our doorways or lock them or close them or, crack them a little bit or whatever it is. But that's the metaphor that I use Mm. for the Enneagram. 
And part, I think, of that wisdom there is that the Enneagram reveals, can reveal even the doorway to us. It can be the doorway and reveal the doorway to us because, as you said, it becomes invisible to us. Right, right. It, there's a shield. We're blind. And it can be, it, it can reveal where that door is and that there is even a door there. Some Sometimes we can be so, I don't want to use the word clueless, we can be so um, asleep. Sure. To ourselves. Right. Or I use the word inured. Sometimes we just do it so often that it doesn't, we just lose the meaning. Yeah. Because we yeah. just do it all the time right. and all right. the time right. and all the time. And we just don't, yeah. it, it, it ceases to have an impact because it becomes part of us. Right. Well, I have, uh, let's reel back just for a minute here. I had some good feedback in the past few weeks about the Enneabuzz and a few people who wrote to me or called said they loved it. They loved the Enneabuzz, but could we do a little bit more introductory work? Because Israel and I have proceeded with this um, with a certain assumption that we want to uh, meet our listeners who want a little bit more than an introduction. So we always want to go beyond that. But some people are listening and just um, coming aboard in the last few months to the Enneagram. That's and awesome. So I thought I'd start uh, just with a very, very brief description of someone's description of four, and then maybe you could react to it and tell us if it resonates. Ah, I will be delighted. Okay. All right. The individualist or the artist the overanalyzer, the mystic, or the elitist. Mm. <laughs> Four, you want to be inspired and inspiring, intuitive, original, and unique. Most importantly, you want to be passionate, true to your feelings, true to yourself, and uniquely authentic. You see yourself as sensitive, expressive, and spiritual, and you usually are. You may have problems with envy. Under stress, you may be moody, haughty, or over-emotional. But at your best, you are emotionally self-aware, creative, and humane. Do you see yourself in that, Burl? How do you relate to that? Does this person live with me? <laughs> where, where did they get this information? It's crazy how the patterns it's are really, so similar. It's really, really crazy. Um, that the, the, the foreness is... Um, is absolutely for me about authenticity. It's about being really who I am. Um, the moodiness is absolutely a part of that. What what this didn't mention about moodiness is that that fours um, fours do the come go come go. Um, um, uh, I need you. No, I don't need you. I need you. I don't need you. All within the space of like push five pull. seconds. Push pull. All you know, just immediate. Um, we can we can go from love to hate in a fraction of a heartbeat and do it forty seven times in a minute. Um, it's amazing. Uh, so yes, so I think fours are, so I'll speak for me, um, my, um, I am so aware of my emotions that it can be exhausting. I know exactly where I am on any given time. And I get really frustrated with people who aren't aware of their emotions or who have an emotional outburst. And, and I think you could have controlled that better. Um, you, you, why weren't you aware that you were feeling angry or why weren't you aware that you were feeling sad or, or grief or jealousy or whatever that was? Um, and so, yes, yeah, so for, because emotions are so instinctive to us, because we don't have to be taught how to feel our emotions, we don't understand when others don't. Right. And that's really, that can be problematic in relationships, that can be problematic in work situations, um, because we sort of got that under control, mm -hmm. and we don't understand why others don't. Or we think we got it under or control. Or we think we got it under control. That's very true. That's very true, because, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the self-awareness part uh, for fours should be, yeah. So fours, I'm accustomed to being fairly self-aware. Now, I miss a lot of it, and my spouse tells me that. But um, I'm accustomed to trying to figure out where I am, and I think that's a difference that fours do. We really want to know, like, wait, 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 what am I feeling about this? Instead of being afraid of our emotions or trying to avoid our emotions, we actually stop and say, hmm, let me work on that a little bit. Let me dig a little deeper. told me in the past that you are four with a wing three. Right. Right. And also a, a self-preservation four. Right. 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 So this type, the self-pres four with a wing three is the counter type. 
It's often called the sunny four, the four that other people who are listening right now who are fours, who aren't that type are saying, this guy's not a four. Right. She's not a four. I've heard that before. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah. ha- because where's the darkness? Right. Right. Where's the moodiness? Yeah. And it's interesting. I think the, the, the complexity of the human person and the personality makes this obvious to me, but not to everybody. And there's that poor thing again. Yep. Right. Yep, yep, yep. right. We're special. Like we, we understand. Yep, we get it. Yep. But um, tell tell us a little bit about how you came to understand that you were four with a three wing and how that works for you. Maybe how that works for you in helping others with their emotions in your ministry, in your day to day life with yourself. So I think I think the, the, the three wing comes in. Um, I, I lead a pretty public profile. And so the threeness for me um, allows me to work a room um, immediately once I get in there. And, um, what, what my spouse does when we go to a party is we enter the party and all of a sudden we're separate and someone will ask my spouse, well, where's Burl? And he will say, uh, he's working the room. And then, and then they'll say, watch. Um, and so then, then, then he, uh, shares with whoever he's with as they watch me go from person to person to person to person. And I'm this sort of social, um, social lubricant, social, um, joy. I, I think one of my jobs is to bring joy, uh, is to bring the sunniness into all of this, um, instead of, instead of the, the darkness right. um, and to make sure that everybody's happy. Um, the threeness allows me a little glitz as I do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the threeness is um, is in my uh, shoe collection um, <laughs> at home. Um, my threeness is um, uh, uh, the um, oh gosh, how do I how do I talk about it? The, the threeness is in the showmanship, and that's a part of who I am. Right. Um, that's a part of who I am when I'm on stage, and I talk about being on stage. Um, as, as anything from, uh, I was a music major. And so part of my, um, part of my training is that once I step out from behind the curtain onto the stage, I am a performer and I am performing for other people and it's also got to be perfect. And so there's a, there's a bit of that in there too. Um, but then that transcends, uh, to, to other parts of my life where I'm on stage, whether it's uh, when I'm in front of people and when I, whether I'm preaching, whether it's, I'm celebrating mass, um, that whether I'm in a, whether I'm in a social situation, all of those are part of that three performer ness, um, that comes right next to my fourness. Now the difference is the difference is in, in a three in my fourness is, um, my um, my showiness will come across really clearly, but I don't need anybody else to notice my showiness. No, we wouldn't want that. I don't. I don't really care if you comment on it. Yeah. I'm doing it for me. Right. That's my individual expression. That's right. Um, and so, so while that's the three characteristic is there, the 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 motivation is really really different, and the sunniness part of it um, is that I want you to have a good time. And I want to, I want to bring joy to that moment. There is this, whenever we have a party, um, we, we have this, this place out in the country and whenever we have a party and I love it full of people and I love it at night. And so all the lights in the house are on and there will be a moment at each party that I will actually walk outside without anybody knowing it. And I go over to the edge of the woods and I just look back at the house Mm-hmm. And I have the greatest joy ever when I see all the lights on and when I see people laughing in the windows and when I hear the clink of glasses and of plates. And then I just stand for a minute and watch that. And then I go back and enjoy. And nobody, my, my spouse didn't even know I did that because I do it so quietly because I just have this moment that I want to see that everybody else is having a good time. And then I walk back oh in. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm hearing this man talk and tears are filling in my eyes because <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly what I do. Yeah. You know, I'll do that uh, not just for parties, but if I'm involved in anything, I'll then days later or weeks later or even every day take a step back and just just look at it all and drink it in. I do yeah. that with yeah. my garden. Yeah. Right. I tend yes. to the garden right. and I go out every day after or I come home if, it, if it's not dark out anymore mm-hmm. and I go out there and I just look. I look mm-hmm. and I drink in the colors and yep. ha- where are the oranges and where are the purples and is right. where yep. are the reds? Are they yep. coming up? Yep. What is fledgling? What is bushy? What is lovely? Mm-hmm. What needs more water? Mm-hmm. I just look and drink it in. Mm-hmm. And it, it, here's the thing of the four that's happening right now. There's such um, an ability to relate when 
most people who are not of this pattern, this typology, don't get that. Oh, they don't like get it how, at all. What, why does that make you teary? Because Burl understands. <laughs> yes, the four that finds a, 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 a relatable four. Burl understands. Right. And how often the lack of understanding or the misunderstanding, to be misunderstood, to be mistaken, someone doesn't get you. Mm-hmm. Is so hard. On, it's in, it's so hard on the innards, isn't it? But, but isn't that what fours deal with? Is that we're nobody gets us, and and quite frankly, we kind of like it that nobody gets us sometimes. But when we find a four that gets us, that we're like, oh my god, yes, right. a kindred spirit, you do get us. <laughs> you really nobody, feel this way. Nobody else really does. That's right. Now here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna turn the table on Israel Balderas because he's it. a four as well, Let's but he is a five wing, a strong five wing. Let's see what. How are you relating to this, my friend? You know, it's so funny because I what I'm what I'm listening to is the different aspects of of what he's saying. Um, so therefore, I want to know more, right? So here's a good example. What I was thinking, and again, this this shows your personality because you were you were earlier saying, you know, I, I'm in the eyes of the public, mm-hmm. and so I know what that means because I understand the role that the church plays in the town of Palm Beach, mm-hmm. but yet you don't say that, and so let me say it. Uh, because there's a sense of humility. Um, Bethesda by the Sea is President Donald Trump's home church. He has gone to the church there, and it's in the it's it's in the public eye. I mean, it's it's in the news. So I'm not revealing any state secrets, but yet you wouldn't say it that way. You know what I mean? You're very humble about it. Um, the church is very humble about it. Um, you got your Masters of Divinity at Yale. I mean, that is an amazing place of higher education and intellectuality. And yet, not one time in the last 26 years did you go, oh, yeah, and by the way, I got my Master's of Divinity at Yale. I, what I really appreciate about you, and I think what I really see in you, is I want to show you who I am, but I don't want to give you the, the puffiness. I don't want to show you uh, the mightiness. I want to show you who I am right here in my heart. And that's what I see. And therefore, then I, I feel it. I feel it for you where I'm saying, you know, this is a person who's very comfortable in his skin. And and I just want to sit here and want to learn more. And so I can understand why people do want to come to your church and listen to you mm. because they know that they're going to learn mind, heart, spirit, body and i think that's what you exude oh I, i'm i'm flattered you i don't know if you can see the tears um <laughs> I, I actually i i'm i'm not embarrassed by any of that but but humility is absolutely a part of who i am mm-hmm. um I, I, part of it comes from my up my upbringing i was raised on a farm in mississippi um I, you know, I would go out and bring in the cows. Um, I was and nobody would know that you're from Mississippi. You don't have an accent. You have a wonderful, deep voice that radio projects. Voice. Yes. Um, <laughs> radio voice. You know, so, so here's a great story. So, um, so I was on a first date with, with my now husband and, and uh, we were, um, we, we met for the first time and he said, well, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Mississippi. And he said, well, I don't hear an accent. And I said, well, I, I can use it when I want to be charming. Um, and he said, you don't want to be charming right now? <laughs> and I said, I don't think I need to be. Because again, that's part of that authenticity of who I am. I can use it, but I choose not to um, because that's not a part of who I am right now and, and where I'm working. Right. Um, I, am, I, am, I am whom I am. I am, I am what you see. Um, that's, that's a part of my foreness. Um, I don't, what, what I need to do is accomplish things for me. And I have really high standards for myself. Yes. Um, but I'm not going to share those with mm-hmm. you because that's a personal thing. And is it also partly that um, the outer, like the, pre- the prestige of Yale, the prestige of the church in Palm Beach, these, these things that are real, they're outer. As Israel is saying, you want people to know you for who you are. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. They are, they are part of the clothing that I wear. I understand that. And I think sometimes you and I, Israel, have talked about this idea of like um, minimizing uh, ourselves, not wearing our credentials on our sleeve mm-hmm. or on our forehead. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have, I've been realizing that about myself too. Like I've, I, I don't want to get into a whole thing about me, but I have done that again and again. 
gone into places and said, yes, yes, I know I'm this. I know that. Could you just call me Stefa? Right, know? right. You know, right. not because I am ashamed or I'm trying to be falsely humble, but I don't want to be loved and known for my credentials, for the things I've done that are external to me, that, uh, you know, I want, I don't want anything to get in the place for someone to know me deeply hear who I am in my feeling center, in my heart, in my relationships. Right. I think you're exactly right. Because I think part of that also is that all of those externals, um, because those are what other things have been put on us. Yeah. We, we've worked for them. Right. Um, but they have been put on us and we, we wear those things. Right. Those can, as much as they can be invitations to people, they can be putting off to people. And we, I, I as a four, don't want to do that. To anybody, exactly. I want to be open and hospitable and loving and kind, um, and I don't want anyone to come to me because of those things, or not come to me because of those things. Exactly, precisely, exactly. Can we go back? You um, you mentioned you were a four three with a subtype uh, self preservation. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I heard correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But then you uh, gave the description of what it would be at a party that you would go from person to person, group to group, making sure that they're having a good time. I always associate that with uh, the social, which is the the subtype, right? The the subtype describes how the three basic instincts are expressed in our everyday life. Now, I I associate with the one-to-one. Some people know it as the sexual, which Mm -hmm. is primary relationships or coupling, intense conversations. Mm -hmm. So can you explain... Um, for people who are maybe getting into the instinctual subtypes, yep. um, the difference between self-preservation and social. Because yep. the way I heard it, I thought, oh, he's social, but you identified as self-preservation. Right, because what I would have done before I started chatting with people is eyed the food table. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> what do they have here? So what you, are they serving? You, exactly. want to pr- you want to make sure that the, you, re- you have the needs met. Right. Exactly. As a host, you want to make sure right. that the, 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 the tea or the drinks yep. are always there available. Yep. Okay. And I will always go get a, something to drink first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always do that. And at the same time, I'm looking at the food table. I know what they've got, mainly because I'm looking for shrimp. And so if they've got shrimp, then I'm going to go for it. Um, and then I'm also aware of where people are coming in the room. Um, are they coming in one entrance? Or are they coming in other entrances? And th- that isn't a necessarily conscious realization, but it is one that I know that I do. Um, the difference in the the social and the self-preservation is in um, Israel as a, a social would engage in one conversation intensely. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to engage in 46 conversations briefly. You, you mean the sexual or the, the one-to-one? Right, 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 right. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, sexual right. one-to-one. Because the, the way I understand it, and we've always said it this way, and so tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I've always identified both the self-preservation, the one-to-one and the social is you're at a party, right? Mm-hmm. The self-preservation person wants to know where is the air conditioning, where is the food, where is the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Is it the social yeah. has a need to go out and experience, uh, you know, great conversations with everybody. Whereas the one one the or you know again the subtype uh, sexual. I want right. I want to always emphasize that right. because yeah. it makes people a little nervous. But they're okay having that intense conversation in the corner. And even people have said, "Man, you guys look like you were angry because you know first mm-hmm. of all I'm a Latino, so I speak with my hands." But there's really this intense feeling and emotion, and you can do that for two or three hours. Um, is that a is that a good description? Yes, and it freaks me out. Okay. Um, <laughs> the idea of being stuck at a party with a single person having a lengthy conversation really freaks me out. Yeah. Well, that speaks to the subtypes because the instincts are usually one is dominant, so self-preservation is dominant, and then there's a secondary one. And then the third one, it's not at mm-hmm. all. It's opposite. So if you have a primary self-preservation instinct and a secondary social, it's understandable that you would not have the one-to-one is much right. where the one-to-one is real. As you were saying, you could be at a party and having an intense conversation with someone and it's eight o'clock or eight 30 and your wife would have to call you and say, Hey, you're going to eat anything. Yeah. You know, that's right. You're going to eat anything. Whereas, you know, I know what's on that table, you know, I'm know going what, back for the cannoli. The table. You know. I know what they're serving. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably have looked in the kitchen. If I pass by the kitchen, I'll probably look <laughs> in the kitchen first to see what kind of food that they've got. Um, mainly because it's obvious that I like to eat, but I also want to know about the food. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. yeah. 
And if it's too warm in the room or mm-hmm. too cool in the room, it's upsetting. Yep. Or you have Absolutely to fix that. You have to fix that. Also, really like to know, maybe not consciously so much, but want to know where's the exit? You know, mm-hmm. like, am I really far away from the exit here? Or, you know, like, like, like you said, are people coming and going in different in different places. I, I, I don't like, I'm uncomfortable in social settings where there's only one entrance. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a little, a little skeeved out by um, a single entrance room. Um, I like a double entrance room. Um, the other night I was at a party and it was warm and I found an air vent and I just stood under the air vent. And again, my husband knows to find me at either the shrimp or the air vent. I mean, there are two things that are just <laughs> consistent for me whenever we go to a party. Um, because I dislike being physically uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And want to know about the food. Well, I mean, if it wasn't, you know, the situation <laughs> we're that we're elbows. let's bump elbows here. <laughs> and the way the way the narrative enneagram describes the instinctual instinctual subtypes, which again further uh, further exemplifies what you were talking about. You, the self preservation four, um, they describe it as dauntlessness, dauntlessness, mm. and. That is defined by incapable of being intimidated or discouraged. Fearless. Mm, yeah. Do you see yourself as fearless? Um, I think. If are I, you comfortable with me saying I you am, are a I am, fearless person? I am comfortable with that. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> am comfortable with that. Um, there are certain things that strike fear in my heart. Um, there are certain things that do that are daunting, but you would never know that because I will never reveal that. Um, but in truth, I'm pretty fearless mm-hmm. i think that's i think that's absolutely fair mm-hmm. in doing that um part of my part of uh, growing up in in rural mississippi on a farm um with my sexuality and being a person of faith and being raised as a person of faith i quickly discovered um that the institutional church was a challenge for me. And yet I kept going at it and going at it and going at it. And so what I learned from the church was that I was loved. What I also learned from the church that I was, that I didn't have a place in it. Um, and so then I sought to find a place, um, for me, um, where I could serve in the church. And my ordination process was probably 18 years long. And part of that was the dauntlessness. I wouldn't let go. Um, I could also speak as a person of faith. God wouldn't either. Mm. That's, you know, God doesn't do that. When God calls you into something, God keeps calling and keeps calling and keeps calling. And that's how you understand an authentic call is that it doesn't go away. Um, and so, yes, I think I would describe myself as dauntless when others would have said, for God's sakes, just stop it. Just give it up. What was it about it that that you kept striving for that 18 years? I felt called by God to do this. Now, me, and I think there's a sense of maybe unhealthiness, I would have felt a bit of shame. Not because of who I am, but the fact that they want to reject me, that they, that, you know, it's 18 years, it's taken a long time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I would feel... um, I don't know. I, I, I know that I would feel more of, you know, there's a competitive in, in, competitiveness in me to, well, I'm going to prove it that I can get that. Um, but after a while, and, I, and I've experienced this in the past where I say, you know, they just don't want me. Well, then mm-hmm. forget it. Forget mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, I, but I know that that has been when I've been unhealthy. But I think that's also part of a four. The four says, I don't need to belong to anything because I am perfectly capable of who I am and I am, I am full and intact as I am. Um, but I, 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 get the, I get the enough already. But I think part of your fourness um, was also, I don't need to be there. Because I'm exactly who I am and fine the way I am. Mm, okay. But do you think maybe that's one of the key differences between the three wing and the five wing? Because you have identified yourself with a five wing, that's which right. goes to isolate, which as right. you're saying with the four, there's that tendency to just say, well, I'm an individual and this is who I am. And then also go even deeper with, well, um, I, I, I am always missing something anyway, or I'm never going to truly belong in, in the unhealthy sense that that fourness there. But with the five wing, you know, that t- tendency to isolate and move away, fours and fives are withdrawing. 
And it could be that. I mean, I've we've we've talked about this in this podcast that my original wound was my father not wanting to have a relationship with me, right? And so that created an inner deficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always felt like you know I'm the kid that says, "Hey, you know, pay me some attention," mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. being ignored. Right. Um, and I think through the Enneagram and through reading Brené Brown and trying to be more vulnerable to people. I've been able to at least try to find healing in that. But certainly that still is part of my blind spot. It's Mm. a a tape. Sure. Yeah. You know, what I would also say is that when I was, I rushed when I went to college, my freshman year, um, I rushed and I was a legacy for one of the fraternities on my college campus and um, went through rush and turns out that, that I didn't get a bid. And the way that they did that was that, um, at the, at the council, um, all the, the fraternities sat in a circle and then all of the freshmen who had rushed stood in a line outside the door. And one by one, you were brought into the room and you sat in front of all the councils and you were told what bids you got. And if you got multiple bids, you had to accept whichever one at the moment. And the dean of students was the one who was the doorkeeper. And um, he would organize everybody um, because he knew what was, uh, who was getting bids. And so I was um, organized and I was penultimate in the, in the list. And then um, and then I got moved to the last of the list. Um, he just moved me around. And um, as the door closed, once the fellow right in front of me went in, the dean said to me, he said, now, I just, I just want to let you know that, that you didn't actually get a bid, um, Burl, and, um, but now, now you're welcome to appeal that decision. You're in a, and I remember this feeling of, oh, thank God, because I didn't want to have to be anything. I didn't want to have to be whichever Greek organization um, I chose or who chose me or for which I was a legacy. Um, and he was, and the look on his face was like, you know, I've dealt with, with young men who were devastated by this. And it, and I was like, Oh my God, no, thank you. And then I left. Um, and I wasn't devastated and I wasn't disappointed, but I realized a couple of things. One is um, people have a difficult time with authenticity because I was out at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, as a freshman at a uh, fairly conservative religious school in the state of Mississippi. Um, and two, I'm really comfortable being who I am. Yeah. And that was one of those really defining moments that I don't need others to accept me mm-hmm. in their organizations. You're comfortable in your own skin. Right. And so yeah. or- ordination was very different. I wasn't looking for acceptance. I was looking to follow God. Right. There's a real difference. Here's a character, the unsinkable Molly Brown from that musical. I forget which one it is, but it's that dauntless character. It says, no matter what happens to me, you can't sink me. You can't get me. I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep coming back. And that idea of being different. Um, One of the other things I wanted to talk about, about the four, was this idea um, that fours don't like the mundane. Fours generally don't like the average kind of thing. But yet, I know, but yet... Just like everyone else in the world, we have, we to, have do to do it. the ma- right. mundane. So how do you approach the mundane in non-mundane ways? I know we've talked about this before a little bit, and I have my own ways. But how do you approach the mundane in some non-mundane <laughs> With ways? difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> but you get it, right? I get it. I get it. Um, you know, I don't like cleaning the house because, my God, I mean, that's just so boring. It's going to get dirty again. Why do you do it? Um <laughs> The way that I do laundry is that I do laundry on Mondays, and that's just has become a part of my rhythm. That, that That's just a part of who I am. So instead of it piling up and instead of like, oh, I've got to do this, which is what I do with a lot of things with the mundane, it's like, no, on Mondays I can do this. It also, because of my profession, I don't get to see things begun and accomplished in discrete ways. There's not a, usually a finite beginning and a finite end. I deal with people and growth and mm-hmm. souls and love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the two things I love to do are laundry and cut the grass. Hmm. Because I can begin them and finish them. And they are done. Mm-hmm. And I can say, look, I did that. I accomplished that thing. Here's proof that I actually made that work. So those are the mundane um, 
But for me, those bring me satisfaction because I can see it. Cleanliness, I can't see it. I can't see a dirty house. Sorry. Um, uh, again, I, I uh, it, it, it's the difference in, in my... Messy, it's right. It's the messiness. Right, I just don't see that. Can someone else do it? Can really? someone else do it? Because yeah. I don't see that it needs to be done and, and <laughs> others do. So please just do it. Um, I, I, I think I would be dead if I were at a desk job. Because that's not who I am. I need to be up and around and it's got to be different and it's got to be changing just because that's who I am. Well, and you know, according to the four type, um, doing, moving, getting in the body is one of the ways to move to health. Mm -hmm. So because fours are so sometimes entrapped and trapped, imprisoned in their feelings and other times just so in touch with their feelings, one of course is healthy, one is, is not healthy, that to move into doing rather than just um, being in the soup of mm -hmm. feelings mm -hmm. is health, mm -hmm. is health. And so that makes a lot of sense, what you're saying. Yep. And what about, uh, for example, with your spouse? What's mm -hmm. his number? Um, he, is, uh, he is a six. Okay. So then how does that dynamic work? Uh, if, if, if you play that role of sort of, I need to start something and begin something... How does that work in that dynamic of the home? Um, he loves that particular moment because as a six, he's always terrified. He's catastrophic. So he's looking at what's going to happen and, and when's the water going to flood and when's the, when's the roof going to come down. And, and we've had, we've had a six uh, as a guest here. Right. So we, we kind of, we've, we've talked through that aspect. And, and so I'm married to a six too. Okay. Oh, so you and I have a lot to talk about. Yes, um, we do. Rather, our spouses probably have a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, he loves that um, because that's counter to what I usually do, which is just sort of live in the moment and, and be free and sort of, you know, sort of everywhere. Um, he loves that because it's distinct beginning and end. It adds to a sense of security for him, um, which is very, very important. Um, the um, My unneed for security because i think it's all going to be fine we're all it's all going to work out we'll just do it um is is in direct contrast for his really dire need for security mm. um and so that's a what the enneagram has helped me do and then in introducing it to him um is understand his need that's innate to him it's not a personality choice it's a need for him and the way that i deal with the world as well and that we come at the world with different glasses on. Back to my door. Our doors are shaped differently. His doors have a lot of locks on them. My door is usually open. And, and there are glass panels in there too, right? Um, no, there's a screen door. Screen door. There's a screen door. So, so I can always get the breeze. <laughs> I can always get the breeze and I can always smell the fragrance of the outside. Mm -hmm. um, but there may be a screen door between you and me. But for him... The door's locked with a couple of locks on it. Wow. And that's been really helpful for us to understand our relationship and to grow with one another and to be patient with one another. That we're not just being antagonistic. We're not just being mean to the other person. You just don't understand. Well, let's talk about how we don't understand and where we're coming from. It's been brilliant and a blessing for both of us to experience that with one another. How have you personally dealt with the issue? Um, I know you, social justice is very important very, to you. Yeah. Um, caring for, as the Bible would put it, the least among us right. um, is something very important to you. But you um, lead a, a, a church that is located in one of the most wealthiest places in America, the town of Palm Beach. You know, these are very wealthy people. The The environment just exudes um, luxury. How have you been able to balance between your call for the least among this among them, but also to be there for this community that, you know, it's, it's quite wealthy? Um, great question. So the first way that I would come to that is by saying that, um, all of God's children, um, at some point, are the least among, and and of course Jesus is speaking specifically about those who are um, economically disadvantaged, and that's very clear in the text. But also looking at it that that we are the least when we are at our worst, we are the least when we are hungriest and most hurt, um, we're at the least when we are most vulnerable, um, and that happens to people no matter of economic reality. 
And so I minister to God's children, and God's children um, have all the same needs. Some just look and smell different at different times. Mm. The social justice aspect, which is really important for me, um, comes as a part of my ministry. So the way that I do it is that I keep at the table those who need to hear the message while I still preach the message. Because if I preach the message um, in ways that alienate, then I don't keep anyone at the table and it does no one any good. Mm. Um, And so we are dedicated to being Jesus's hands and feet in the world. And we do that. Um, We do that really successfully in a lot of ways. Interestingly, we don't do it on our physical campus as a general rule because of the laws of Palm Beach. Because we can't. We, you know, we can't have a palm, we can't have a food pantry at our church. We can't feed the homeless at our church. Um, being homeless in Palm Beach is pretty difficult, actually. And so we have to go out to do that. And we do. And we serve, um, we serve meals to the hungry and we feed those um, around the world and, and in Palm Beach County who really need it. We clothe those who, um, who need it as well. We've got kids in college. We have a wonderful mentorship program. And so we're looking at dealing with social justice by by educating these young people who come to try to prevent the cycles of, of poverty and the cycles of um, the cycles of self-destruction. And so we uh, we mentor these children. And we've got kids in college mm-hmm. that we are mentoring. And so that's one of the gifts that we're able to do as a parish with particular resources is that that that's one of the ways we address that. So So yes, you're exactly right. Our church doesn't look like an urban congregation. So we have to make our ministry work in ways that do, but we absolutely still care for those who are the least among us. And the, and Jesus Jesus preaches social justice. That's what it is, and I, it, it bothers me when people don't like that term because that's what Jesus would use, and so that's exactly what we do. And I remember taking my daughter to uh, an event at the church. It was an Easter event, mm-hmm. and I saw all kinds of people all at this of. event. It was African Americans. Yep, there yep. were Latinos. Yep. And and I and I felt comfortable yep. there. Yep. Uh, and so here's this church that is located among some of the most wealthiest, you know, white uh, community. Yep. And yet your church was very diverse. And, and I thought that was very, very pers- pur- yeah. I was gonna say purposeful. That's very intentional on our part. Yep. Yep. Great. Great. Well, one of the things we didn't talk about much today is uh, the vice or the passion of the four, and that's more difficult to talk about with any number, with any type, because it's it's the blind spot. As we know, the passion basically is envy. And and how does envy manifest itself? It's a hard one to look at, to deal with. Um, part of what kept me from acknowledging that I was a four-type for many months was I couldn't get past the blind spot of envy. I would say, and prayerfully too, what am I envious of, Lord? I don't feel envious. I'm not, you know, and it took a long time for me to see how envy shows up in my life, in my low moments. And so how does it show up? Because I think it's really, I think it's really peculiar to each person. So how about you? Right. Well, um, there's nuance with it for sure, because it's never a conscious, I wish what you had, I had what you had, you know, Um, but it shows up um, and it has showed up in the past a couple of different ways. Um, I had to go back to my childhood. Mm. I had to go way back to being uh, about five or six years old. And I remember, um, watching television with my father and there was a Sunday night show. I think it was called the King's family and it was a family of about 30 people and they just always, they filled the stage and they were all related and they sang and they had a great show uh, from my little five-year-old, you know, mind. And there were these two little kids who were five or six. They were right in the front and they were singing. And I remember thinking, why do they get to be up there? Who are they? They're just little kids born into that family. They probably don't even have a good singing voice. <laughs> I should be up there. <laughs> I had to go back that far. Oh. And then as I accepted that and saw that, I went to my teen years, my late teen years, early 20s, when I was in church with someone who, uh, and you, if you've been listening to this podcast or you're a good friend of mine, you know in my 20s, a husband and I were like, poorest church mice we, we you know we were doing the odd or in uh uh not unacceptable but unusual thing for young 20 uh grad, college grads 
And we were just doing our own thing. You know, we were doing the individualistic thing and it wasn't making money. Okay. Mm. Um, but there was this gal in our church who, uh, she and her husband were both working. They were my, they were our age. They were doing really well. Um, and she was going to make an album. She was going to go to Nashville and she was going to make an album. And I remember thinking, why should she do that? Just because she has money, that's not fair. Does she have more talent than I? Now, these <laughs> things were not articulated, okay? Uh-huh. Sure, but, sure. But they were obviously there because I had to go back. And so when I finally came to grips with this, I realized, okay, there's probably some things now that I don't see that are there in my low moments. That's okay. Or maybe I've grown or whatever, but there were definitely moments that I could point at um, that where I think envy showed up. How about mm. you? Do you see any of these things or have you had to grapple with that? You know, I think you're, you are right. And, and for, I think probably for all, um, all the types that the vice is the hardest to get at. And for me, the jealousy, um, probably yes, as a child was, um, oh, I wish, um, not that I wish that I had something, but more that I wish that I were something. I wish that I were um, as handsome as they are. I wish I were as um, as eloquent as they were. Um, oh, I wish that, um, um, oh, I wish I could dance like they could dance. Um, and so, so there was always this, the, the early on, there was probably a feeling of inadequacy, a feeling of, gosh, if I, uh, if I just had that, if I had something else, not that what I was was bad, but it could be better if that. I had that. Mm. I yeah. had that. Mm. Um, so there was never, there was the, never the, 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 the self-hatred, but there was, oh gosh, if I just had that, I would be right. better. Right, right, right. How about you, Israel? You- oh, I, listen, I, uh, one of the greatest wounds of my wife has been my my bias, my envy, because mm-hmm. I was I was I was envious of her uh, of what a good host she is at a party and um, you know how people like her, how she naturally um, you know can fit in into any situation, and uh, and you know in our careers uh, now I'm able to say she was a much more better journalist than I was. Um, we both uh, spent our time as journalists in Washington D.C. Right, it's uh, um, you know, expected a lot out of you, but she worked for Reuters. Uh, she worked for the Kaiser Family Foundation. She, Annenberg. you know, it, it, and she went to get her master's of public health at George Washington. She's an epidemiologist, quite successful, quite smart. But at the time, I was envious of how successful she was. And for me, as a journalist, doors would get closed. And, and so I would feel like, well, is this about me because they don't like me because I'm a Latino or because I don't have the right education. Um, and, and so I would take it out on her. And, mm. um, as, as listeners of this podcast know, you know, we were separated for two years and we've been back together for, uh, now a year and a half. We've been married for almost 21 years. And so there's a beautiful redemptive story, but one of the hardest things for me to hear Ian Cron say was my personality and he was on a podcast and he said my personality four five uh one-on-one can be the most hurtful person in all 27 Mm. uh you know personalities and it was that day that i that i wept and i said um it was it was my envy that that really caused a lot of pain in our marriage and so when we started to um try to um you know redeem our marriage and to come together that's the first thing I told my wife is that I'm sorry. I am so sorry that my envy hurt you. Mm-hmm. And the day that I told her, we were at the, um, at the Outback Steakhouse in Palm Beach Gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I told her, she started to weep. And that was the beginning, by the way, of our healing. When I was able to confess to her mm-hmm. and for me to be so honest with her about that. And, you know, Brene Brown says vulnerability is being open and honest without expecting mm-hmm. something in return. Right. And, and at that point, we'd almost be separated for two years. So I wasn't doing that, expecting that we would come back together. I was I was trying to say, I, I, I own it. Right. Uh, and so for me, when we talk about envy, it's something that I really have to go, yep, that was me. And you know what? I can I can be better. Mm-hmm. I can, and 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 that's why the enneagram has helped me to be healthy. Yeah, because it does show me the mirror. Yeah. But I'm able to say, but I'm not my number. That's right. Exactly. That's the one That's thing right. I've learned. That's right. But I'm not, I'm not my, my number, number. Right. And 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 I can and it's okay. I can be ordinary. And there's a, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
Well, and I must say, from one four to another, you are never going to be ordinary. You're always going to be extraordinary. And so are you, Burl. <laughs> you know, because fours do have, I, I, listen, you've heard this before too. Every single child of God is unique and beautiful in their own way. Everyone. Every single one. So I have no qualms about saying uh, that fours are <laughs> the same. <laughs> there, are, there are rituals that we can participate in, personal ones, um, disciplines, ways that we can kind of overcome and work past and through those vices, each number for each number. But I think self-acceptance, looking at them squarely in the eye, is the beginning. Until we do that, until it's removed uh, and we, we we see the door and we go in, you know, um, that's the beginning. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest. This has been uh, my pleasure. On our podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, and the amazing thing is you got three fours in the room and I don't think one time we should a tear. Close, well, close, I close, close. I got Were you close? close. Okay. Did you miss any of the other numbers? <laughs> it was a four fest. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for spending the time My with pleasure. us. Thank uh, you. For sharing your your life, your love, your ministry. Um, and we hope to have you back again because I, I, because what, what we didn't talk about was how do you uh, use the Enneagram in your ministry right. and as counselor. I'd love to. Okay. Love to. Perfect. Thank, thank, thank you. you so much. Stephanie, again, it's such a pleasure to do this podcast with you. Don't forget, you can listen to this podcast uh, on any platform now. We are on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Podbean, Google Play. Please subscribe. Leave us a comment. Let us know the good, the bad, the ugly of this. Tell your friends about it. Click and listen. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Send us your question. Thanks, Israel Baldiaris. I always love being with you. I love you, Stephanie. It's the Enneabuzz. Thanks, guys. Loved it. Take care. Bye. Bye.